This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And so the argument goes on. The arguments go, the argument went where the she part of Ruth says to the herself part of Ruth, but it's not reasonable to not bow. And Ruth should bow, and herself responds back and, and argues, I don't care what's reasonable or not. I only care about how I feel. I don't feel like bowing. And if I'm in control of Ruth, then Ruth's not going to bow to Boaz. That's all. And, and the argument would then escalate to the part where the she part of Ruth would say back to the herself part of Boaz, yeah, well, I don't care about your feeling. I only care about what is reasonable and what's right to do. And if I'm in control of Ruth, then Ruth is going to bow to Boaz. And the fight goes on. And the fight gets so intense that in verse 10, it indicates to us that the sheep part of Ruth takes, con- Ruth takes control of Ruth. And what happens is the sheep part of Ruth takes, takes, takes the back of the neck of the herself part of Ruth and pushes her down. And it says she bowed herself down to the ground. <laughs> the sheep part of Ruth, am I the only one having fun with this? <laughs> the sheep part of Ruth pushes the herself part of Ruth down to the ground. And she pushed herself to bow so we can hear she say to herself, enough with how you feel. Ruth is not going to obey how she feels. Ruth is going to obey how she thinks with her mind and what she believes with her spirit. And down Ruth is going to go to bow before Boaz. And down Ruth went to bow before Boaz, as it says in verse 10. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground. And when that happened, we all cheered. We said, oh, yes, the mind of Ruth and the beliefs of Ruth got the victory over the feelings of Ruth, and Ruth bowed to Boaz. Now, when we look at this conflict going on inside of Ruth, between the she part of Ruth and the herself part of Ruth, resisting the bowing, we understand this great tug of war. We identify with it between the, 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 the she humble side of Ruth and the herself proud part of Ruth. And we understand all too clearly about the she side of Ruth saying bow and the herself part of Ruth saying, no, I bow to no one. People bow to me. 
And we also understand that for Ruth, it could have gone either way. And it could have gone as it did, where the she side of Ruth won and, and Ruth bows, but it could have gone the other side, whether herself uh, side of Ruth wins and Ruth doesn't bow. There really was a question in this internal struggle of Ruth as to who was going to win in this tug of war between the she side of Ruth, who said bow, and the herself, says, you know, herself side of Ruth says no. And, and we experience that same internal struggle where we, wanted, we want there to be a verse 10 in our lives. She bowed herself to the ground. We want that in our lives. We want to be able to declare the same victory in our internal struggle here, our tug of war, our internal tug of war between the she or he and the herself and himself. And we want finally that the she or the he part of ourselves takes control and overpowers the herself or himself part of us and pushes the himself or herself down to bow to the ground before the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look at the struggle, we identify with that and say, yes, I understand what Ruth is going through. As I see, there's a part of Ruth that knows it should bow to Boaz, and there's a part of Ruth that resists bowing to anyone. And we say, that's me. And there's a part in me that knows I must bow to my Boaz, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and there's a part of me that resists bowing to him. That's me. And Paul saw the same struggle going on inside of him, and he described it for us in Romans 7, 15, where he said, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do not. What I hate, I do. And then I do that which I would not. I consent unto the law that it's good. Now, it's no more I that do it, but sin that's dwelling in me. For I know that in me, I mean in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me. How to perform that which is good, I find not. Members, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind... I myself serve the law of God, both the flesh, the law of sin. See, in this passage, Paul saw the same problem that's internal tug of war struggle. And Paul said that, that, that he said, sometimes the wrong side wins. And he says in Romans 7 15, that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do not. And what I hate, I do. And then he talks about this, he describes this internal struggle in such terms of, it's no more me that it does, it is sin that dwells in me. In Romans 7, 17, 7, 19, the good which I would, I do not, the evil which I would, that I do. Romans 7, 20, it's no more either to it, sin dwells in me. 7, 23, I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me to captivity. See, in that verse, Paul describes the struggle as between his mind and another law. And the other law is what he calls flesh or feelings. And Paul's mind knew what he must do, but his feelings were not in sync with his mind. And Ruth knew with her mind that she needed to bow with to Boaz, but her feelings were not in sync with her mind. And we know with our mind what we should do, but our feelings are not in sync with our mind. And Paul then cries out, for the answer, he says, what's the answer? What's the answer in Romans 7, 19? How to perform that which is good, I find not. He says, I don't have a clue. I don't know. And he says in Romans 7, 24, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of this death? See, Paul has the, then the answer in the last two verses of Romans 7. 
When he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of this death? I thank God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, so with the mind I serve the law of God, the flesh the law of sin. See, after stating that he's so desperate for the answer, and he even cries out, O wretched man that I am, he calls his body the body of this death. Paul then explains to us the answer, and the answer to the problem is not found in a what. The answer is not what will deliver me from this body of this death. The answer is found in a who. The answer is who will deliver me from this body of this death. Paul tells us that the who that will deliver us from this body of the death is Jesus Christ our Lord. Who will deliver us from this continual victories of our feelings or the flesh that they have over our mind? Jesus Christ our Lord. Who will deliver us to make our mind to have victory over our feelings and flesh? Jesus Christ our Lord. See, how are we to learn this? How are we to learn to be like Ruth and bow to Boaz? How are we to learn to have our mind that knows we need to be humble to have the victory over our feelings and our flesh that wants to be proud? How are we to learn to have in our lives the humility of Ruth who bowed to Boaz? How are we to learn that? How are we to learn humility? Paul told us we are to be, that we are to be delivered from pride by the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the Lord Jesus Christ told us how to suppress pride how to learn humility. He told us that in Matthew eleven twenty eight, where he says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. See, the first step in Matthew eleven twenty eight is, Matthew eleven twenty eight. come unto me. There's no formula. There's no course to be taken. There are no verses to memorize. There are no behavior modification classes or lessons to follow. There's a person to come to. There's only one coming, only one coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. See, there's not only one coming. There's many comings to the Lord Jesus Christ, but there's no deliverance from sin or pride without coming to him. See, what does it mean to come to Christ? Coming to Christ involves an initial coming to Christ, then a continual coming to Christ. The initial coming to Christ is to open the heart, the open the heart door, as he spoke about in Revelation 3.20 when he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Initial coming to Christ is to believe that. Believe Revelation 3.20. Believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is standing at the door of the heart. Believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is knocking at the door of the heart. Believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is calling out with his voice to open the door of the heart. To come to Christ is to believe Revelation 3.20 that he is standing, knocking, calling to open the door. To come to Christ is to believe in Revelation 3.20 that he is promising that if the door's open, he'll come in. As he said, open the door, I will come into him. To come to Christ is to believe that to open the door is to invite him to be the best friend in our lives. For him to be the Lord of the life, I will sup with him 
and he with me. I will sup with him is where we first are the host and we are friendship with God. He with me is where in the end, he's the host. We're the guest. He's the Lord. Coming to Christ for the first time is to receive Christ with the invitation for him to be Lord of the life. And, and that's spoken of in John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. To come to Christ is to experience a new birth from God. A new birth from God is an overturning, revolutionary event of life. You know, if we were to ask a baby, let's say we were to ask Cassidy, if we were to ask a baby, what was it like to go through the birth process? <laughs> the baby, would, Cassidy would explain, <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> She'd say, you know, it was revolutionary. Nothing short of revolutionary. He, she, the little Cassie would say, my whole life was turned upside down. And it isn't even that long, but it was turned upside down. There, there I was. I was quite comfortable, thank you very much, in my mother. And it was warm in there. It was cozy in there. I was fed in there. And suddenly these contractions come like an earthquake, and my whole life is turned upside down. <laughs> I saw my life pass in front of me. <laughs> Everything I knew in the wound, my fetal position, my source of food, my oxygen, those all became old just instantly. They all passed away. They're permanently gone forever now. And I, uh, I looked down at my belly button. It's not attached anymore. And I'm never going to go back to the womb again. I mean, you know, a baby, if you asked a baby that, the baby would say, you know, oi, the baby would say, because it was a Jewish baby. <laughs> Coming into this world, the light with the new source of food and oxygen position and, and crawl? No, no, no. All things have become new. What can I say? The baby would say, it's a new life <laughs> from here on out. That's what happens when a person comes to Christ. A new birth with an upheaval, a passing away of the old life, the old stuff. We, we, what we fed our souls on, it's all gone. And now we feed our souls on the word of God. And we used to live in sin, and, sin, and, we, and we used to like sin. Those are old things. They're forever passed away. They're gone. Just like it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things passed away. Behold, all things become new. That's what it means to come to Christ. Initially, to be born again, to be saved. But coming to Christ doesn't stop there. When Paul was saved, he was saved, but he wasn't delivered from the body of this death. He wasn't saved from doing what he hated. He wasn't saved from not following the law of his mind. He still needed Christ as a deliverer from his body of death. So do we. And the same is true for us. We came initially to the Lord Jesus Christ. We were not delivered from the body of our death. We were not saved from doing what we hate. We were not saved from not following our mind. We need Christ today as our deliverer just as much as we needed him when we first came to him for salvation. And the Lord Jesus Christ knows that, so he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come unto me. And when he says that, he's speaking to us. He's speaking to us. He's speaking to the she humble part of Ruth in wanting to bow. And he's addressing this issue of the, the, the herself proud part of Ruth, not wanting to bow, like Paul and Ruth. And he sees the internal struggle in us. He sees how we feel with that internal struggle. And he describes it, I know how you feel. You're laboring. You're under a heavy laden. So see, he comes on the side of us, he goes, how you doing? How you, how you doing in this new life? Do you feel worn out? 
You feel exhausted? I know. I see. I know you're laboring against a force you can't beat. I know you're weighed down under a load you can't carry. I'll tell you what you have to do. Come unto me. Come unto me. Just come unto me. Cast down that pride that resists coming to me, stomp it into the ground, and just come to me. And then he has a promise. He says, I'll give you rest. You come, I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest from your laboring. I'll give you rest from your being heavy laden. All you do is just come. And then we say, okay. So when I come, what do I do? I come, what do I do? He says, first step, Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, take my yoke upon you. Yoke, he says, yoke, yoke. We don't see yokes every day. We don't see yokes on Mission Gorge Road. You know, a yoke is a symbol of work. It's a symbol of submission. A yoke's interesting. You know, we don't use yokes today. You know, I, 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 that was what was fascinating me about when I went to Ethiopia was just seeing these yokes being used, you know. I, I used to sit in a comfortable chair. It was our first priority at Scanderby's compound. We needed comfortable chairs. And you sit in the comfortable chairs and just watch the field, the farmer's fields on the sides of us. And they, they would plow the field. They used an ox and a yoke. And they would plow the fields and make the furrows in preparation for the corn seed. And I would just sit there in a chair and I'd just watch them. They'd go back and forth in the field there, around our compound, making those furrows for the corn seed. See, those farmers used the ox and the yoke to prepare the field for the seeds. You know, the, the farmers, they had an interest in getting the seed to take in the fields there. And, and the ox, uh, they, they were using the farmer's yoke. And they did the will of the farmers in preparing the field to receive the, the seed. The farmer could look at the yoke and say to the ox, this is not just the yoke, this is my yoke. Yeah, I have a conversation with the ox now, see? We're having a, we had our conversation with Cassidy, now we're having a conversation with the ox, see? And so the farmer says, this is my yoke. And the ox could look at the yoke and say, yeah, that's not just the yoke, that's your yoke. Okay, I'll give you that. That's the farmer's yoke. And notice in, in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, the Lord Jesus Christ does not call it the yoke. He calls it my yoke. And in that picture, the farmer is the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're the ox, and when we take his yoke, we agree to do his work. And the ox could say to the farmer, well, I know it's your yoke, but you know what? I'm such a good ox <laughs> that I'm willing to do your will. I'll tell you what, I'll make your yoke my yoke. And the ox might say to the farmer, as a matter of fact, I'm not just even going to call it the yoke or your yoke anymore. I'm going to call it my yoke. And, and that's what Paul did. He accepted the yoke of the calling of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the gospel call. And he said in Romans 1.16, he had a transition to 16 verses. Romans 1.16, Romans 2.16. Romans 1.16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And then the next chapter in Romans 2.16, he said, in that day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Romans 1.16, Paul called the gospel yoke the gospel of Christ. He transitions to accept it so much, like the ox. In Romans, and he gets to the next one, he calls it my gospel. The gospel of Christ has now become my gospel. So what does it mean to take my yoke upon you? It means to become married to the gospel, to the point of transitioning from calling it the gospel of Christ in Romans 1.16 to calling it my gospel in Romans 2.16. 
What's the gospel yoke of Christ? It's to prepare the field of the hearts of people to receive the word of God. It's to prepare the heart fields of the lost by praying for them to be saved. It's to prepare the heart fields of the lost by bringing the gospel to them. It's to prepare the heart fields of the lost by having compassion on them, caring for them, listening to them, helping them, seeking the appropriate particular scriptures to address their particular needs, all with the goal of bringing them to Christ for their eternal good. It's to take it on yourself. You know, the summer blitz, it's to pray for those who are going out right now. You want to know what to pray for? Just got this from the um, Brooklyn team. His name is Daniel. You see him on there. See him. He looks just like David McDonald. He just looks just like him. I think about David McDonald when when I see him. Daniel, he wrote last night. He said, I don't care that the Jewish adults gather our packets for a bonfire But when they send their kids to pick up the packets, it breaks my heart. These are kids who will grow up believing a completely false religion. Please pray for the Jewish population in Brooklyn. You know what he's saying there? He's saying that the Orthodox have now, they have a strategy. So our guys go out, there's about 25 of them in Brooklyn, and they go out one by one. Makes it harder for the opposition. And then we have our vans that circulate amongst them and keep on supplying their backpacks. And they go out one by one, and the Orthodox has said, we'll send our kids out, and they'll tag them. They'll stick with them, and when they leave a packet, they'll gather them up, and then we'll have bonfires. And that's what they do, bonfires throughout the streets in Brooklyn. What does it mean to take on the yoke of Christ? To pray for Daniel, that uh, God would be glorified. And coming to Christ is not only take the yoke, it's to learn of him. In Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, learn of me. What does that mean? That means seek to know Christ. Know everything that is possible to know about him. Know him especially where it says, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Know him in his meekness. Know him in his lowliness of mind and of heart. And when we do this, something wonderful happens. We get within us, we adopt into us what the Bible calls the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ is described to us in Philippians 2.5 where it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The more we focus on the mind of Christ, the more we focus on him who made himself of no reputation, of him who took on him the form of a servant, of him who was made in the likeness of man, with all of his weaknesses except for sin, the more we focus on how he humbled himself unto obedience that extended all the way to the death of the cross, the more we do that, the more the she part of Ruth in us will have victory over the herself part of Ruth in us and will experience she bowed herself to the ground. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Ruth and for her life and the victory that she had and the example that she is to us. Help us to follow her in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program was brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.